The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Thank you. Be seated. Well, as we read in our text today, we see Paul say in verse 17 who he's addressing. He says, but if you bear the name Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God. So I wanted to just spend a few minutes before we got into the details of the text to make sure we understand who is the Jew that Paul's talking to. Uh, Let me begin by reminding you that Paul is a Jew himself. Certainly, there's no anti-Semitism here. There's no uh, slur going on against the Jews. In fact, what we'll see is the scriptures... We're going to see how blessed and how special and wonderful the Jews are. And so what, who is the Jew that Paul is referring to? Well, as we look through the scriptures, we see that uh, it goes all the way back to Abraham. God, in Genesis 12, made a covenant with Abraham. Uh, what was the covenant for? What was God doing? He was promising to restore all that was lost in the fall. Uh, in Genesis 3, we see all the blessings of God that were there were forfeited when they sinned. And God says, instead of just saying, I'm done with you, he comes to Abraham and he says, I'm going to restore all the blessings through Abraham. And he made a promise to Abraham. He said, Abraham, you're going to have children. You're going to have a nation of children. The problem is Abraham and Sarah were were old in age and they were barren. They were not able to have children. And so it was going to take a miracle. Well, Abraham believed God. He took God at his word. God promised to do this. Abraham believed God. In Genesis 5, 6, it says that this faith of Abraham was credited to him as righteousness. Faith is the key to being made right with God from the very beginning. And then the covenant that God made in Genesis 17 with Abraham was one with someone who had been made right with God. He promised them all these things. And then as a sign of that covenant... He tells Abraham to obey him in the circumcision, the practice of circumcision. And so circumcision began to be the process of setting apart the people of faith. So the Jews, or as they were known then, were the children of Abraham. Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. And so they were known as the children of Israel. The children of Abraham, the children of Israel, were set apart by this sign of circumcision. So... Who are these people? They are the community of faith. Ideally, they should share in the faith of Abraham. They're being marked apart after their faith through circumcision. And so God's plan was that the people of Israel would be the people of faith. And then he gave them the law. He gave them through Moses the law. And the law said, here is God's way of living. Now notice the order here. They were made right with God, then they were given the law. And so the law was never meant to be a means of being made right with God. It was God's wisdom to his community of faith. In fact, we see in Deuteronomy, this is how it's described. Listen to Moses' words about the law given to the Jews. Moses tells them why he gave them the law. He says in Deuteronomy 4, 5, See, I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do thus in the land where you are going to enter and to possess it. Verse 6, so keep and do them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. And then Moses says, for what great nation is there that has 
a God so near to it as is the Lord our God whenever we call on Him? Or what great nation is there that has statutes and judgments as righteous as this whole law which I am setting before you today? And so we need to understand the role of the law as it relates to the people of Israel whom later became known as the Jews because they lived primarily in in the city of Judah. The role of the law was, this is your wisdom. As people who trust in God, this is your wisdom. This is the path of blessing and curse. This is the way of life that God has set before you. Walk in His ways. This is the life of faith. The life of obedience, as Paul would call it, the obedience of faith. Those who trust in God, formed in community, then lived out their faith in God by living according to His ways. And the nations outside of this marked out people would behold the glory of God among the people of God as they lived out by faith the wisdom of God in obedience to His commands. To the Jew first... And then to the Gentiles. The Gentiles would come streaming in to God as they join in the people of faith, seeing the wisdom of God in their lives. All this should sound very familiar to us. It's not unlike what we see in our lives. God saves, He gives His word, and He says, Live by faith, this is my wisdom for you. So the message today is continuing the same message we saw in verse 11. There is no partiality with God. There is no partiality with God. That doesn't mean that God didn't show great blessing and advantage to the Jews. But his point is, with all those advantages, with all those blessings, none of it makes you right with God any different than the nations are made right with God. Now, here's what I want to do today. I pray this won't confuse you. I want to create the analogy of showing how similar we are to the Jews. As people born in a Christian nation to a Christian family who have experienced Christian baptism and have the Christian Bible, we are very blessed God has given us great advantages to those who don't have all those blessings. Very similar to the Jew who had the word of God, the law of God, who had circumcision as the people of faith in God. And the message to the Jew is the message to us today. Those blessings don't make you right with God. When the Pope is in town and on television, every time you turn the television on, we need to hear this. Religious Blessings do not make you right with God, whether you're Catholic, Methodist, Episcopal, Baptist, Independent, whatever you are. Your religion does not make you right with God. Now, let's see where I get this from. And we're going to see there's warnings for us as we see Paul warning the Jews. We can see this is not just for a Jew. This is for anyone who is religious, anyone who has received great blessings. Remember that what we've seen, the three, three sections we've been looking at. Two weeks ago, we said Paul was addressing the atheist. Paul was addressing the outright pagan. 
I do not want to have anything to do with God or church. I don't care. Get out of my face. To him, to that person, Paul said, look, they're without excuse. God has revealed enough to them that they should know better to worship God, and they refuse. They suppress the truth. They're guilty. Last week, to the moralist, he said to the one who looks at that atheist, the moralist looks at that atheist and says, I'm good with God because I ain't doing that. I'm better than them. And so I'm right with God. To that moralist who's trying to live a good life and keeps his nose clean, God said through Paul, guilty, just like they are. And today, to the religious, the ones who have the great blessings of the word of God, the church and baptism and all the trappings of religion, he says, guilty. There is no partiality with God. And so we're going to hear three warnings today. And you're going to see the wording is very strange because Paul is going to argue and has been arguing, you are made right with God by faith alone. One sixteen. the gospel is the power to salvation to everyone who believes because in it, the righteousness of God is revealed by what? Faith. And then in the middle of this argument, it's not by works, it's by faith. It's not by works, it's by faith. He then describes the one who is justified by faith is one who does works. And you just go, okay, I thought I was getting this stuff. So let's see if we can understand this. It's easy enough to just say what I know you, most of you already think it says. And I could just stop there and go, okay, we all know what this says, so let's move on. But we got to say, is that really what Paul's saying? And that's where the hard work comes. Is that really what Paul is saying? And so let's look at this. So the first warning to us who have the word of God is this. Doers of the word of God will be justified, not just hearers of the word of God. Doers of the word of God will be justified, not just hearers of the word. This comes from 12 through 16. This first warning comes to us from Paul, warning the Jews regarding the law that they have. And we see the equivalent with us is we have the word of God, but it's the doers of the word of God are justified, not just the hearers. Verse 12 says this, For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. The point here is this, God is not partial Just because you have the word of God, having the word of God does not fix this judgment problem. Being born in a Christian family that has a Bible on its shelf, every shelf in the house, carrying it with you to church, does not fix the problem that we have. And that's a sin problem. He's talking to the Gentile who doesn't have the law. He says those who sin without the law, guilty. He's talking to the Jew who has the law, those who sin under the law, guilty. God's not partial. Verse 11, everyone who sins is guilty and will be judged for their sin. In support of this statement, Paul goes on to describe two people. And this is confusing to our brains. Look at verse 13. For the reason is... Not the hearers of the law is it's not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but doers of the law will be justified. Now the problem with that verse is our brains make it say something it's not saying. 
He does not say you will be justified by doing the law. Look at it again. He does not say that. He's describing the one who will be justified. He's saying they fit into one of two categories. And I'm going to test you. And I want you to literally raise your hand. If you're afraid, you don't have to. I want you to pass the test right here. Okay. I'm asking you, true believers in Christ, will they be described as hearers of the law or doers of the law? If you think they're simply hearers of the law, raise your hand. If you think they will be described as doers of the law, raise your hand. Okay, so we get it. He's not saying anything different than that. He's saying those who will be... Ju- Everybody's going, got that one. Those who will be justified are described as not hearers of the law, but doers of the, law, of the law. So he's not changing the doctrine of grace. He's not saying you are saved by doing the law, but he is saying doing the law matters. He's saying the way you live matters. If you are going to be justified by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, then your life will be characterized as a doer of the law. That's what he's saying. So when he says, he's just in the middle of this downplaying of works for salvation, he's saying, but don't forget those who are saved will be characterized as doers of the law as opposed to simply Hearers of the law. In other words, when you carry that Bible to church and you are so thankful for the Bible and for your church and you have this Bible, does it condemn you when you read it? Can you look at your life and say, I need to be doing this, not just having this? Those who are justified, those who will be justified, will be those who, when they read the Word of God, know, I need to be living this, not just having this. Nobody is going to stand at the judgment seat of God on judgment day, and he says, why should I let you in heaven? Nobody will get in saying, because I got your word. Nobody will get in because they say, I read your word. No one will get in because they said, I memorized your word. That's not going to cut it. There is no partiality with God. All who have sinned, whether you had the word or didn't have the word, will be condemned for your sin. In verses 14 through 16, he goes on to say, this is no different for those who don't have the word, the Gentiles. He says they must be considered doers of the law as well. God judges Gentiles the same. In verse 14, he says, For when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are a law to themselves in that they show the work of the law written on their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them on the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. That's a challenging verse that we went back and forth all week on, but the bottom line is, it's whether this is saying Gentiles are condemned without the law because of their sin, just like Jews are condemned because of their sin, 
Or if it's saying the opposite, which is Gentiles are only saved when the Spirit of God writes the law in their heart, just like Jews are saved only by the Spirit of God writing the law in their heart. The message is the same. He's saying this. It doesn't matter how much religious blessing you have from God. It doesn't save you. There is no partiality with God. So to those of us who have multiple copies of God's word, what a blessing to have a God so near to us that he has revealed his word to us in a language that we can read and we can carry and we can study. In Joshua 1, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth and thou shalt meditate on it day and night for then you will have success. This is the wisdom of God. What a great blessing it is. But it doesn't make you right with God. We don't worship the Bible. We worship Christ, who is the point of the Bible. We see this in the New Testament all over the place. You've been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ to walk in the good works that God has prepared for you. The purpose of your salvation is to walk in the deeds that he has laid out before you. James 2, 20, you are, he says, but are you willing to recognize you foolish fellow? I like that. You're willing to recognize this, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless. Verse 26 of James 2, for just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Paul warns in Titus 1.16, he condemns those who profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him being detestable and disobedient, worthless. Just because you have the word of God and you say, I even know about God. I even know about Jesus. I've even memorized scriptures. I go to a church where they take the word seriously. None of that makes you right with God. That's what Paul is saying to the Jew who is so thankful for the law and circumcision. He's saying, it doesn't make you right with God. So doers of God's word will be justified, not just hearers of the word. And now he's going even further to say doers of God's word will be justified, not just teachers of the word. 17 through 24, he says, But if you bear the name Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God... Now listen to these things. I I pray these things are said about me, most of them. If you know his will... Yes. And approve the things that are essential. Yes. Being instructed out of the law and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind. I want to be a guide to the blind. I want to be a light to those who are in darkness. I want to be a corrector of the foolish. I want to be a teacher of the immature. Having the law, the word of God, the embodiment of knowledge and of the truth. If that's you... Do you not teach yourself, is what he says. Doers of God's word will be justified, not just the teachers of God's word. In these verses, Paul goes after those who boast to others that they are good with God because of their 
expertise in knowing the Word of God and teaching the Word of God. But again, Paul makes the same point. It is not enough to teach the Word of God to others. You must teach yourself to be a doer of the Word. And then he continues in verse 21, You who preach that one shall not steal, do you steal? You who say that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? I hear the woe passages of Jesus to the Pharisees and scribes where he kept saying, Woe to you, you hypocrites. Woe to you who teach one not to steal. Do you steal, you hypocrite? You who say that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery, you hypocrite? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples, you hypocrite? You who boast in the law through your own breaking of the law, do you dishonor God, you hypocrite? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, just as it was written, you who think you are experts in the law are blaspheming the name of God because you're hypocrites. Now, now, as the... Experts in the law are hearing this. They're hearing one of two things. Worst case scenario, when he says, you're teaching them not to steal. Worst case scenario, they're literally stealing themselves also. They're stealing physically. And they're going, oh gosh, I'm condemned. You teach them physically don't commit adultery and you physically are committing adultery. Condemned. Hypocrite. Now, what I think more likely is going on is when he says, you teach them not to steal. And they're going, I don't steal. I, don't, I haven't stolen. I'm not stealing anything from anybody. And then the message of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount comes through. That if you even covet, you're breaking the command not to steal. Because it's not just an outward behavior that God's after. He's at the heart. And, and when they say... When Paul says, you who teach don't commit adultery, they're going, I've not committed adultery. And Jesus' words on the Sermon on the Mount is, if you lust, you have broken that command. Because I'm not just concerned with the outward behavior. I want obedience to flow from a changed heart. So stop even lusting. And then when he talks about robbing temples, he might have been talking about the one who isn't giving money to the, to the Lord's work or, or he's coveting and he's saying, listen, you think worshiping an idol, you're, you're good because you don't have a wooden crafted image. He's like, listen, you're idolizing other things when you steal or you rob because you can't have. You're not satisfied. You're not content. The point is this, that in either case, either their outward actions are, are doing what they say you shouldn't do and they're hypocrites or in their heart they're doing it. And Jesus and Paul says, you're hypocrites. You see, he's saying a doer of the law is not someone who simply does the law outwardly. He says that's like being a real pretty coffin on the outside. It's beautiful, but inside is dead bones. The point of the law is you are dead and you need to be born again. You are dead and you need spiritual life. And that spiritual life produces doers of the law. 
That's what he means when he says, do you not teach yourself the very law that you're teaching? Is if you see this as a list of rules and regulations and you find that you think you've measured up, he's saying, teach yourself the word that you're teaching Because the whole point of this word is faith in Jesus is the only way to be made right with God. That's the point Paul is trying to make to these experts in the law. As elders, as core class teachers, as community group leaders... As community group co-leaders, as parents who are trying to teach your kids the word, Paul is saying, understand the message that the word teaches is you can't be good enough. You need grace. Trust Jesus Christ. And then you will find the fruit of your life is you are a doer of the law. So doers of God's word will be justified, not just hearers of God's word. Doers of God's word will be justified, not just teachers of God's word. And now this last one, I really hope doesn't confuse you. Doer of God's word will be justified, not just the baptized. Now what I'm doing is taking circumcision and showing analogous to baptism. Circumcision for the Jew was a marking off that they are members of the community of faith, similar to the fact that when we baptize someone, we're marking them off to be members of the community of faith. Paul is saying, your baptism does not make you right with God. In fact, he's saying, if you are relying on your baptism, I don't care if it was infant baptism, if it was middle school, elementary school baptism, middle school baptism, or adult baptism, it never makes you right with God. And he says, in fact, if you think that makes you right with God, the thing that was supposed to mark you off as a member of the community of faith has actually made you not a member of the community of faith. That's what he's saying. Now see if we can follow that. Verse 25, for indeed, circumcision is of value. If you practice the law or if you're a doer of the law, if you are a transgressor of the law, your circumcision has become your uncircumcision. Verse 26, so if the uncircumcised man keeps the requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Here's what he's saying. A Gentile who doesn't even have the law, if he has by faith been made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ, even though he never got circumcised, he's a member of the community of faith more than the one who thinks his circumcision makes him right with God. It's like saying to us in baptism, if someone out there trusts in Christ and never gets baptized, but you got baptized and you didn't trust in Christ, they're more a Christian than you are. Are you following me? Because Paul's mess within our heads in these verses. He's taking what is near and dear and precious to us, and he's saying, if you think that makes you right with God, you ain't right with God. Because only Jesus makes you right with God. That's what he's saying. 
And we see this stated finally, most clearly in verses 28 and 29. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. It's not just simply that. It's not fleshly. It's not outwardly. Verse 29, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that which is of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. Looking forward, Moses said, Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, so that you may live. That's in Deuteronomy. That's in their Bible. This is not new teaching. Your heart will be circumcised so that you may live by faith, be a doer of the law. Jeremiah 31, 33. The prophet says, but this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and on their heart. I will write it. I will be their God. And they shall be my people. Writing the law on their heart. Inward produces outward. Ezekiel eleven nineteen and 20. And I will give them one heart and put a new spirit within them and I will take their heart of stone out of their flesh and I will give them a heart of flesh that will make that they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them then they will be my people and I shall be their god when after he rips their heart out and gives them a new one Ezekiel 36 26 and 27 or 27 I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. Paul is saying the same thing Jesus is saying, the same thing Moses was saying, the same thing Jeremiah was saying, the same thing Ezekiel saying. The spirit of God produces the inward heart change and the result is that you become a doer of the law. That's what we come to God on judgment day. Why should I let you in heaven? Because I've trusted in Christ. The spirit of God has transformed me into a doer of the law. By faith alone. So we are being challenged to examine our hearts, especially those of us who are here today in the church, who have been born into a Christian country, in a Christian city, with a Christian family, had a Christian baptism, and have the Christian Bible. And he says, that'll make you a Christian. Faith in Christ makes you a Christian. The Spirit of God radically changing your heart, that you then, having been made right with God, Live according to the wisdom of God that he's given in his word. The obedience to the word of God then testifies of the inward change that has taken place. And it brings glory to God instead of glory to yourself in the eyes of man. You see, when it's you're doing these things to be made right with God, you get the glory from men. When it's God doing this from inside out of you, God gets the glory. And that's the plan. 
So which is it with you? We don't do altar calls where I stand at the front during a song and and wait for you to come. We do it after the service. We say, if you're under conviction, then come talk to us after the service. Nobody comes and talks to us. I've been assuming that that just means that you're doing business with the Lord another way. Now, we get to hear a lot of it because it's a journey through this to connection group to joining the church. And I hear a lot of the stories are going on, but don't leave here without doing business with the Lord, especially today. God is speaking to the religious people, and we are religious people. Are you counting on your baptism Are you counting on your sincerity? Are you counting on your love for the church? Or your desire to be a good Baptist, Catholic, Methodist, Episcopalian? None of that that works. We have to see in the word of God our desperation for the grace. And we got to get to the point somewhere in there to realize our religion doesn't work. Our good deeds don't work. We've got to see in the word of God, my only hope is that I'm trusting in the righteousness of Christ to be credited to me on my account. And how do you know if you've done that? Are you a doer of the word? Is the Spirit prompting you to do the Word? I know that's messed up. Don't rely on your doing of the Word. How do you know if you're doing the Word? Are you doing the Word? Is it Spirit-produced? Is it inward-hungering? Is it a heart of faith and dependence on Christ that is producing doers of the Word? That's massively important to get that subtle difference because heaven and hell hang in the balance. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that you will circumcise hearts right now. I pray that you will give spirit transformation within hearts to see the glorious good news of the gospel and a hatred for self-righteousness. Pray that we as people who are religious, as teachers of the word, as baptized in the church, that we will see those are all great blessings and gifts and advantages to have, that we should treasure them but we should never mistake the truth that we cannot be made right by those things. 
All those things are to be pointers to and symbols of faith in Jesus Christ that makes us right with God. Dear Lord, dear, in this song that we are about to sing, I pray that you'll bring about a mighty conviction and that people will come to faith or people will come to realize changes in their life that need to be taking place and that after the service they will talk to someone and do business with you whether it be the pastors up front or the friend who brought them or a community group member a church member whoever it may be Lord may we do business with you this morning it's in Christ and we pray Amen Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.